0: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another Lost Ladies of Lit mini episode. I'm Kim Askew.
1: And I'm Amy Helms. Kim, you and I discussed our opinions about the Regency-era TV show Bridgerton earlier this year in the episode about real-life lady whistledowns.
0: Right. We had mixed feelings about it. Um, But it's no surprise that Hollywood is clamoring to capitalize on the success of Bridgerton by turning out other series in that same vein, including, it would seem, a dating reality show.
1: Yeah, you knew it was coming, right? Yep. Yep. (laughs) So this past summer, NBC's streaming platform Peacock announced that they had a reality series in the works called Pride and Prejudice, An Experiment in Romance which is basically, I think, kind of the bachelorette meets Jane Austen. I think that's what they're going for.
0: Yeah, here's what the press release had to say about the show. Um, So in their own words, a heroine looking for her duke will sign up for the ultimate social experiment in romance. Transported to a Regency-style England, a group of eligible, hopeful suitors will have to win the heart of our heroine and her court. Housed in a castle in the countryside and set on a beautiful backdrop of rolling hills, the heroine and suitors will experience that with which dreams are made of. From carriage rides and boat rides on the lake to archery and handwritten letters to communicate, they will be immersed in a time-traveling quest for love. In the end, our heroine and her suitors will discover if the ultimate romantic experience will find them true love.
1: Okay, so, I mean, we're obviously going to watch but I'm also sort of rolling my eyes a little bit. And I also want to point out that the true Jane Austen nerds among us know that this series has already been done. Mm -hmm. Like 20 years ago, it was called Regency House Party, and it aired on BBC and PBS here in the States. Do you remember that, Kim?
0: Oh, my God. Yeah, it was the OG dating show for people who like this sort of thing. Oh, my God, we loved it.
1: Yeah, we did. Ergo, we're going to watch this new one, too.
0: Totally. At least the first episode.
1: Yes. So in that earlier Regency house party show, there were five women and five men and a couple of chaperones and then, of course, servants. They were all thrown together on a country estate for several weeks to find out who might find love.
0: I remember watching this show with you and writing about it for our blog, Romancing the Tome way back in the day. It was so much fun.
1: And I liked that it took an educational bent. It sort of explained the protocol and parameters of Regency-era courtship, which I very much hope this new series on Peacock plans to do.
0: Yeah, I hope so, too. Anyway, the old show also made the contestants adhere strictly to how people in this era would have lived in the year 1811. So not only were they dressing in full Regency get-ups, they were also living without any modern conveniences. They used chamber pots even, (laughs) which uh, is basically what living with my toddler is like right now. And for the record, I wouldn't want to do it, you know, regularly or anything.
1: (laughs) No, it kind of takes the romance out of the uh, Regency romance. The bloom off the rose. Yeah, getting to walk in Jane Austen's shoes, I guess, does have its (laughs) trade-offs. But the reason we bring up this earlier show is because you can actually still watch it. It's on YouTube. They have it in its entirety. So if you simply can't wait for this new series to come out, now's a good time to go back and watch Regency House Party. It was fun. I think we both agreed. I think Richard E. Grant was the narrator of that show. And who doesn't love him? Right? He's our
0: favorite, right? With Noah yeah. and and um, the Scarlet Pimpernel. Anyway. Yes. Yeah.
1: I don't think he appears on the show, but yeah, his voice is yes. the one narrating yes. it. And the contestants do get up to some very mild antics. And there were a few juicy elements for sure, but it's nothing like what you see these days on The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. But something tells me that the Peacock platform show might aim to be a bit more tawdry in that respect. Who knows?
0: Yeah, I may be getting that feeling, too. I have a confession to make, though. I don't think I've ever watched The Bachelor or The Bachelorette.
1: (laughs) That's not a confession. That's a point of pride, girl. Thank you. Thank
0: you. I do remember in watching Regency House Party, though, how sobering it was to realize how unfair that world was for women. The men on the show were living it up and having this great time. And the women were basically bored out of their skulls and pretty limited in what they could do. There was a lot of needlepoint going on. And for someone who gets a headache doing anything remotely like that, I would have spent a lot of time hiding out in my lacy boudoir with a case of the hysterics.
1: I know. it. Fetch the smelling salts. (laughs) Uh, But going back to needlepoint for a minute, I do (laughs) want to point out that I used to do a lot of needlepoint. Did you know that? My grandma taught me. No. um, Growing up, when I was really little, my grandma taught me how to cross stitch. And then so I did it a lot when I was a kid. And even... Kind of in my 20s, I did a few pieces. But my mom, for Christmas this year, gave me a Jane Austen cross-stitch pattern. I love it. Oh, that's sweet. Well, as long as it's by choice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the point out. So in addition to being bored out of their skulls, the women also the whole time had to be under the watchful eye of these stick-in-the-mud older chaperones. So that's one of the first elements of Regency-era dating that we're probably going to see in the Peacock series, the dreaded chaperone, because it would be unthinkable for an unmarried young lady to be alone in the company of any man who's not immediate family.
0: Exactly. Which is why in Bridgerton, it was so scandalous when Daphne is caught out in the garden at night with the Duke, right? Mm -hmm. That sort of predicament could basically ruin a young woman. Uh, Just the perception of something untoward would be catastrophic for her reputation, right?
1: Yeah. Men could just sow every wild oat they wanted, but a female would be damaged goods if her virtue was ever cast into doubt. That's right.
0: Yeah. And you say damaged goods as though women were a commodity, but basically that's what they were. Um, There's a reason they called it the marriage market, right? Mm-hmm. So somebody had a season each year when the eligible bachelors would be in town, usually spring until late summer. And it could be a desperate gambit to get your daughter married off during that time frame.
1: And getting back to those lurking chaperones, getting to even know a potential suitor just must have been so awkward. You know, you've got this buzzkill lady hovering over your shoulder, probably eavesdropping. You know, you have to watch everything you say.
0: Yeah, which is why the dances back then were so important. As we've seen from many a Jane Austen flick, those moments on the dance floor were sometimes the only opportunities for meaningful, semi-private conversation, if you think about it.
1: And even then, you know, they're having to weave in and out with other dancers the whole time. So it's like, oh, we're talking. I would love to continue this gripping, heartfelt conversation as soon as I sashay around this other dude over here. I'll be right back. You know, can you imagine that?
0: Um, I can, but it's not pretty. I have two left feet. You know this. So Mm -hmm. trying to imagine concentrating on dance steps while also conversing intelligently, it would have posed a huge challenge for me personally. I don't think it would. Yeah.
1: I really love the image of that. I, I, (laughs) I can picture it so clearly in my head, you attempting these little prancy dainty steps you'd have on the cute you know, Empire Waste dress, and mm-hmm. you'd have that smile plastered on your face. I would so pay money to see that.
0: And I would be blushing so hard, right? <laughs> totally. <Yeah. laughs> somebody please hire us to be extras in the background of a Sanditon ball so we can just put this theory to the test.
1: Make this happen, somebody. <clears throat> okay, so we want to be officially extras now in the Gilded Age and also in Sanditon. In Hopefully the ball someone scene.
0: from Hollywood is listening right now or um, BBC.
1: Yes. We will travel. We'll travel. -hmm. We'll travel. Yep. On our dime.
0: Yes. I'm going to, I'm going to throw that out there. I'll pay them.
1: Somebody should offer that. You should have like Groupon Mm. thing to go be in a
0: side business, our side hustle. Yeah. Okay.
1: But anyway, getting back to dancing and courtship, it was actually tricky in more ways than one, because when you were at a ball, you were not supposed to overdo your time on the dance floor with any one particular young man. Okay. If you danced more than two sets together and a set was approximately about 15 minutes, you were basically engaged. So basically, ladies, keep an eye on that clock, (laughs) lest your name suddenly show up in the marriage bands. And also from what I understand, even writing letters was not sanctioned during the courtship period. Men did not write to women unless they were married or they were relatives. And I don't think I was aware of that until I was researching for this because um, I was thinking back to Pride and Prejudice when Elizabeth Bennett receives a letter from Mr. Darcy, right? Mm -hmm. But if you remember, he hand-delivered that letter to her. He did not send it via post. So since he was technically flouting the rules of etiquette, He had to deliver it to her in person because that was how they would avoid a scandal that way.
0: Ooh, and it was really sexy, too. (laughs)
1: Yes. (laughs) Yes.
0: And I remember in Sense and Sensibility, Marianne causes confusion because she does correspond via letter with Willoughby. Eleanor then thinks, of course, they have this understanding with one another.
1: Yeah. And then also unmarried young people, if they caught each other's eye across a room, say, Neither could just go up and be like, hey, how's it going? Nice to meet you. Come here often. You know, that sort of thing. It did not work like that. You needed to have a third party who would introduce the man to the woman. And it wouldn't be the other way around because a woman would never be introduced to a man because she would be considered the person of honor. Also, unmarried young people could not call each other by their first names. I think we did know that. A gentleman caller could visit a young woman's home for no longer than 30 minutes at a time. I actually like this one because if the dude's a kind of a dud, it's not too prolonged, right? You know, yeah, I whatever. feel like that about all these
0: things. Like for the wrong guy, it's great to have all these things in place. <laughs> but yes. For the right guy, it's really a deterrent.
1: <laughs> yes. It's, it's hard. It's a challenge. Yeah. And actually, the first time a young couple would ever be allowed to be alone together in a room would be for the actual proposal itself. Of course, then everyone makes themselves scarce, you know?
0: God, talk about the pressure. Um, this reminds me of that proposal scene between Jane and Mr. Binkley in Pride and Prejudice when the rest of the family is trying to keep it together, but they're basically screaming on the inside.
1: <laughs> I know. I love that scene. Oh. Yeah. So great. Um and then speaking of sisters also a suitor had to make sure he was taking interest in the appropriate daughter of any given family so it was bad form to like a younger sister who wasn't out in society yet especially if the older ones Are still on the market. So, as a woman, you had to pray that your big sister was not homely. (laughs) (laughs) She had some takers. Otherwise, you're going to be waiting around for a while. And also, once a woman was in her mid to late 20s, she was said to be on the shelf, which is akin to maybe like put out to pasture. She's done. She was seen as less marriageable by that age.
0: I mean, literally the only thing you can do is kind of laugh because it's <laughs> it's very sad. And it also goes without saying you could not marry outside of your social sphere in addition to all this. So men can have these lower class mistresses, but they were shunned if they married a woman from a lower class.
1: Yeah, and getting back to Bridgerton, it's possible we'll get to see some of that more in the next season, because they're supposed to be focusing on this character of Anthony, Daphne's older brother. And we know from season one that he is in love with an actress. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, But anyway, obviously, these courtship rules applied to people living in the higher ranks of society. If you were a scullery maid, you know, this sort of protocol didn't really apply to you. Which sounds good, but if you were a servant, marriage usually wasn't in the cards for you anyway. So sorry, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, if you were a sad singleton in Regency England, though, and you were looking for love in the midst of all these difficult um, parameters, there were a few superstitions that could help you find love during this time period. So on the eve of the Feast of St. Agnes, for example, young women were advised to take pins, transfer them all from the pincushion into their sleeves while reciting Our Fathers with each pin. And if you did that, that night you'd supposedly dream of the man you were going to marry.
0: Who came up with that one? I want to know. (laughs) That's complicated. (laughs) Yeah, very. Um, Is it keeping them busy or something? Um, Okay, and that lore, though, is what John Keats based his poem, The Eve of St. Agnes, on. And that poem said in the Middle Ages. So it's interesting if people were actually still buying into this in the early 1800s.
1: And then, same idea in one region of Northern England, there was apparently also a ritual that men could do on the Eve of St. Agnes. A guy could eat a whole red herring, bones and all, before retiring for the night. And he would then supposedly dream of his future wife, which I don't know, that sounds more like heartburn to me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, like I was gassy and I dreamed of you.
0: Yeah, where's the (laughs) tomes? There's another superstition that if a guy and a girl both threw seeds into a fire, and often this was done on All Hallows' Eve, it would divine their future together. So if the seeds stayed close together and burned, they'd end up married. But if one seed jumped away from the other in the flame, that didn't bode well. Awkward.
1: I like the idea of these um, things just being like invented on the spot. Oh, like yeah. A girl sitting there f- by the fire and mm-hmm. she's like, oh, see, the see the seeds jumped apart. See, oh yeah, we're never going to be. Sorry. <laughs> There's also something called a dumb cake. Have you heard of that?
0: I knew there was something about eating a piece of cake and dreaming of your future husband. I can't remember where I know it from, though. It's, it's a scene in a book, I think, but I didn't know about it being called dumb cake.
1: Yeah, so it's dumb cake because you weren't allowed to speak while you were baking this cake. That was part of the rule for making it. Mm. Um, but you would prepare the cake silently as a young woman. And then um, after you ate it, again, dream of your future husband. It's
0: I think a sad. mom came up with that. She didn't feel like talking. <laughs> she wanted her daughter to be quiet. Yes. She said, no talking while you bake this cake and you can <laughs> your future husband.
1: <laughs> yeah. These, all these silly like preteen yeah. girls. Yeah. Yep. Actually, it wasn't even really cake. It was more like a bread. Mm. And uh, we can include a link in our show notes that has more specifics about that.
0: That makes me think of um, the idea that when Marie Antoinette said, let them eat cake, she was really talking about bread. There's an argument to make.
1: Oh, more- yeah, maybe. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah.
0: <laughs> If you wanted to take a less hocus pocus approach, though, to finding your future mate, there were a lot of conduct guides for women, of course, with practical advice on attracting men. And one of the most popular we found was called Sermons to Young Women. It was written by a clergyman named James Fordyce. And it's actually the book that Mr. Collins in Pride and Prejudice attempts to read to the Bennett sisters who were not having any of it, by the way. Um, The book urges women not to be too witty because husbands don't want that. Women should be meek and modest, dutiful and submissive. And he says the highest reward for female virtue is male attention. I believe he wrote a version of this book for young men too. It would be interesting to just compare those two books. Something tells me uh, we would be seeing red, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Um, another guy, a Dr. Gregory, was his name, wrote a book called A Father's Legacy to His Daughters. It's kind of the same idea, same kind of book. He writes in it, be even cautious in displaying your good sense. It will be thought you assume a superiority over the rest of the company. But if you have any learning, keep it a profound secret, especially from men who generally looked with a jealous and malignant eye on a woman of great parts and a cultivated understanding. And he wrote this for his daughters, and I kind of sort of hope that his daughters hated him.
0: Oh, yeah, I bet they did. Oh, can you imagine when he left the room, the scowls? Yes. (laughs) So... Mary Wollstonecraft blasts these guys specifically and others of their ilk when she later wrote A Vindication of the Rights of Women, and we could do a whole episode on her incredible clapback. In any case, hearing all of this, it sounds like it was just exhausting and miserable to try to find true love in Jane Austen's era. I mean, no wonder she never married. But we wish the contestants well, anyway, on the forthcoming Pride and Prejudice, An Experiment in Romance. And we will thank our lucky stars. We were born in the modern era while we're watching it.
1: We keep saying we want to go like be cast in the balls or whatever extras in the Mm -hmm. Sanditon ball. But if you were single, would you have wanted to do this show?
0: No, I would still want to be an extra.
1: If it wasn't a dating show, I would love to do, you know, that series that's like mm-hmm. the 1940s Manor house. house. I mm-hmm. would love to do something like that where they just taught you how it was all going to be. Oh, and yeah. You got to oh, yeah. Up. I would even do. I would do bachelor. the chamber pots.
0: Yeah, I would do all of it. I would like live in a cold castle, you know, having my asthma attacks and everything to have that experience. It's just the bachelor, bachelorette feel of the dating show idea that I don't know that I'm into. I will I will reserve my opinion completely though and watch it. But I agree. The more educational shows where you're putting it all in practice, that sounds more up my alley too.
1: Right. Like what's her name, um, who I love? Lucy. Um... I don't know. Now I have to look it up. Sorry. Okay. Oh, yeah. Lucy Worsley. Have you ever watched any no, what of is her this? documentaries? Oh, my God. She is the most adorable British woman. Yeah. And she has these series. I think she writes books, too. She does all these different series for the BBC or PBS. Okay where she kind of takes you into like what it was really like, like sex in the Tudor era or uh, the six wives of Henry the eighth would have li- I can't believe you don't. Oh, I know. No, I can't believe I don't either. <laughs> it's all on YouTube. You can find a ton of them. She has so many different episodes and she's got, Oh, she's just so cute. She's always like standing in the middle of a castle or a Regency house. And Oh and yeah. I've got to watch everything. This, this sounds
0: she- like my perfect um, like chill and Netflix. Show yes, okay. or like a sick yeah.
1: day being in bed and just watching. I'm feeling Lucy like a little Morrison.
0: cough coming on. Oh, wait, it's COVID. Oh, I'm, we
1: have to, I'm feeling out a how little... to get her as a guest.
0: <laughs> oh my god, yeah, let's get her as a guest. Yeah. Okay. She's amazing. Let's work on
1: that. Okay. Okay. So sorry, we just got off on a tangent there, obsessing over Lucy. But you know, earlier we were talking about the Regency era dating guides from these annoying old men. But next week we have something a little bit similar. Um, it's Victorian. Sex manuals.
0: Okay. I'm excited about this. Maybe I sh- <laughs> I'm i very excited. I think this is going to be fun. Her name was Ida Craddock. She was fascinating. And we've got the author of a new book about her and also um, other pioneers of sex positivity, as well as the zealous smut hunter who is basically on a mission to stop them at any cost.
1: Yes. Join us for this titillating discussion with Amy Soane author of The Man Who Hated Women. Your collective jaws are going to drop when you hear about Ida Craddock. She was basically a Victorian, kind of a sex columnist, I guess you could say. You do not want to miss it. Just trust us.
0: Yeah, she's an incredible person and it's an incredible story. I cannot wait. Until next week, if you could take one minute out of your day to give us one of those five-star reviews where you listen to your podcast, we would be forever grateful. Let us know you're out there.
1: Yeah, we love hearing from you. So until next week, bye everybody. Our theme song was written and performed by Jenny Malone and our logo was designed by Harriet Grant. Lost Ladies of Lit is produced by Amy Helms and Kim Askew.